Good morning to everybody. Hi, my name is Bobby, one of the pastors of Grace Baptist Church. In case you have not known me, right, uh, that's my name. A man went to church on Sunday morning. He heard the organist missed a note during the prelude, and he grimaced. He saw two persons seated a few rows just in front of him. They were talking. They were talking when everybody was supposed to bow in prayer. He felt like the usher, the usher was watching him to see how much he put into the offering bag. And it made him boil. Worst of all, he caught the preacher. He caught the preacher making a slip of the tongue five times. And he counted it by actual count. So as Jim slipped up through the side door during the closing hymn, he muttered to himself, he grumbled to himself, never again. What a bunch of cloths and hypocrites. Another man went to the same church on the same Sunday morning. He heard the organist play an arrangement of a hymn entitled, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. And he was thrilled by the majesty of it. This was followed by a more contemporary song, uniquely entitled, 10,000 Reasons. The beat is upbeat. He didn't really enjoy it, but he can't help noticing that everybody was singing from the very bottom of the heart, even though the singing was slightly off-key due to the age of the instruments. And then he heard a young girl take a moment in the service to share her testimony about responding to God's call to go to the mission field. He was glad also to see that his church was collecting a special offering for the victims of an unnamed country suffering from the ravages of death and destruction brought on by a deadly typhoon. He especially appreciated the sermon that Sunday because he answered a question that had bothered him for a long time. As James walked out the doors of the church, he thought to himself, how can a man come here and not feel the presence of God? Both men went to the same church on the same Sunday morning. Each of them found what he was looking for. One was looking for himself. The other was looking for God. Who or what are you looking for? If you are looking for God, he will be found. God reveals himself through the Holy Bible, for it is through the word of God that we will know his way and his will for our lives. So we gather this morning in this worship hall, we call this the sanctuary, week after week, because we are people redeemed by Jesus Christ who gave his life in exchange for ours. While we are citizens of this earth, temporal kingdom for all of us, our true and our final citizenship is a heavenly one. And so this sets the stage for our continued study through the book of Philippians. Paul encourages the Philippians to live out their lives as citizens of a heavenly kingdom. As evidenced by a growing commitment of service to God 
and to one another. The way of life that Paul encourages, this way of life was manifested uniquely in nobody else but Jesus Christ. But the same way of life was evident in Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus, which we're going to cover in a couple of weeks' time. Paul was concerned that the Philippine Christians continue to grow in their faith. And we know that the supreme model, as Pastor Arnold preached last Sunday, the supreme model for progress in faith is Jesus. Jesus willingly let go of the privileges of divine glory. He forgo his divine glory to take up the form of a servant and even embrace the ultimate humiliation of the cross. And so Paul challenges the Christians in Philippi to let the reality of their salvation be seen through the tangible actions of their lives. The Philippian Christians ought to let the tangible results of their salvation be seen in their lives. But the Philippian Christians are living in a time of great upheaval. They do not live an easy life. Under the Roman government, life was tough. So in the midst of discouragement and despair, what occupies our entire being is how to get out and get as far away as possible. To find ways to turn things around, to make things turn out for the better. And so therefore, my friends, to be joyful will be the furthest thing in your mind. Yet this was what Paul tells the Philippian Christians. He did not tell them, now he did not tell them to merely grit their teeth and hang in there, be resilient. Because Paul himself was in no better condition. He was actually in prison when he wrote to the Christians living in Philippi. But the tone of his writing was one of joy. The word joy is mentioned 13 times in four chapters. Joy. And the reason why Paul can rejoice is because he knows, he knows that true joy is found only in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. The theme of the book of Philippians is pursuing Christ-likeness. You find this in chapters 3, verses 12 to 14. Yet the tone, the tone is one of great joy. Christians are to be joyful in every circumstances, even when things are going badly, even when we feel like complaining, even when no one else is joyful. Everyone else around you are not joyful. Christ still reigns and we still know him so we can rejoice at all times. The key question for us to consider this morning, who is important to you? This divine joy is found in Jesus who came to give his life as a sacrifice to redeem us from sin and from Satan. Now, Jesus did this willingly. Not under compulsion. He did this willingly and with joy. Even though the sacrifice was excruciatingly painful, the torture was painful for him. And not only that, it was humiliating. Jesus was not an unwilling participant because Jesus knows that in the light of eternity, no pain is too much to bear. In addition, Jesus can rejoice because everything will be made right. Everything will be made right in eternity. Am I seeking Christ, trusting and following Him? How can you do that? 
to have a life that is modeled after Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is our quest this morning. Let us at this moment go to God in prayer, asking Him to prepare our hearts and minds for a time of learning. Dear God, we thank You that You have given Your Word, the Holy Bible, to teach us to live as Your children on earth. We know that Your Word is more than just to inform us but to transform all of us so that we can be more and more like your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and give thanks. Amen. Let's turn our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 12. Philippi was a Roman colony in Acts chapter 16. Now, the inhabitants in Philippi enjoyed many of the rights and privileges given to citizens of Rome. But in exchange for such favours, to exchange for such favours, you must give unreserved allegiance to Rome and to Caesar. You adopt Roman dress codes and you adopt Roman names. You speak in Latin, the official language of Rome. But there is more. You are expected to worship the numerous Roman gods and to top it all, to top it all, it was expected of you to worship the divine Augustus. This is a dilemma facing the Christians in Philippi. Christ or Caesar? Those who give their life to Christ rather than to Caesar, they give their allegiance to Christ, not to Caesar. These people were singled out as subversive, subversive and possibly even rebellious. Now, these were not minor infractions. To be charged with subversion carries extreme penalties. You will face, you will face social ostracism. People avoid you. You will face loss of jobs or trade. You will get public disapproval. In extreme cases, people were imprisoned while others were given a death penalty. This is the situation that the Philippian Christians are living in. In this kind of environment, how did Paul encourage and challenge the Philippian Christians? Paul reminds them of their salvation in Christ. Paul shares with them how they can continue growing in their difficult situation. And this is what we are about to learn from Paul's exhortation to the believers in Philippi. You can follow along with me in the sermon outline. The first characteristic of Christ-like living, what is that? Christ-like living calls for obedience. And true obedience, true obedience is made up of two components. It begins with our attitude and it results in our action. Therefore, my beloved Paul says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Paul affirms and encourages the Philippians to continue their obedience with or without Paul being physically present. Only when you have made up in your mind that your life will be one of obedience, then you can move forward. And true obedience comes from your heart. That is your attitude. It comes from your heart, not from external stimuli or compulsion. If obedience, if your obedience is dependent on someone someone who is prodding you, someone who is urging you along, 
then you are just following orders. Obedience also calls for your response, and that is your action. Not only do you need to have the attitude, it calls for your response, your action. The response, Paul says, is to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Paul did not say work for your salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 9 clarifies that all believers, all believers, no exception, we have been saved by grace. It is a gift from God. It's not earned by self-efforts. But Paul says we are to work out our salvation, not work for our salvation. We cannot work for our salvation. When Paul urges the Philippians to work out their salvation, he is saying that we, we are to bring salvation to completion, meaning to live out the fact that we have been saved. If you and I have been saved, we live out the fact. People can see in our lives. Salvation is not merely a gift received and then it ends there. I was saved. I have been baptized. No. It's not merely a gift received and then it ends there. God continues to mold and shape us to become more and more like Christ. And therefore, a safe life, anyone following after Christ, expresses itself in an ongoing process in which the believer, now that the believer is strenuously involved, strenuously involved, perseverance, spiritual growth, and maturity. Paul says, work out your salvation. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul explains what is this working out your salvation. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do not do it for an perishable wreath or crown, but for an imperishable. And Paul says, I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So work out your salvation, not work for your salvation. Now the, the phrase fear and trembling Fear and trembling. It's not, it's not describing anxiety. It's not describing doubt. It refers to an active reverence. All right? Fear and trembling, active reverence and, and a singleness of purpose in responding to the grace of God. Obedience calls for the right attitude and action. Yet all of us know that all too often we will fall back we will fall back into our old self and human nature. We succumb to our weakness, weariness, discouragement, or even plain laziness. But behind the scene, my friends, behind the scene, God is working in your lives. It is God who indwells in you and is working in you. The question is, do you allow? Do you allow God to work through you? Do you allow God to work through you? Salvation is by grace, as I've pointed out, but saving faith surrenders all of life. We surrender all of our lives to God and to His purpose. In turn, it produces a spiritual maturity that is demonstrated in good works. As Christians mature and allow God to work through our lives, we find God accomplishing His purposes in us, even though, even though we may not be totally aware of those purposes until perhaps much later. Obeying God is in our best interest. God has called us to keep His commands while reminding us that His laws are not hidden from us or beyond our reach. 
Have you ever said you would obey God if you knew what God wanted? Have you ever complained that obedience is too difficult for a mere human? These are unacceptable excuses. God's laws are written in the Bible and are clearly evident. Clearly evident in the world around us as well. Obeying God's law is reasonable, sensible and beneficial. The most difficult part, the most difficult part of obeying God's law is simply deciding. Deciding to start and to start now. But God gives us the strength to do it. It's empowered by God, this obedience that we have. So the first characteristic of Christ-like living, the first characteristic is obedience. Let's move on to the second characteristic. Christ-like living determines how we conduct our lives. Our conduct is governed by our identity in Christ and manifested in our interaction with others. And God himself provided the necessary help in the gospel. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Grumbling, or another version used the word complaining. It means being discontented. Discontented with God's will. And it is an expression of unbelief or unacceptance. You cannot accept what is happening. Unbelief prevents you from doing what pleases God. Disputing, or another version uses the word arguing. It describes arguing over debatable points that do not need to be settled for the good of the church. What are some of these? It is not uncommon to find situations where believers have a difference in opinion and it results in division, discouragement, and God's work becomes hampered and slowed down. And even in cases, it comes to a stop. Paul says that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, crooked and twisted generation. Our conduct should be governed by the understanding that we are children of God. And Romans chapter 8, verse 17 puts it in strong terms that we are actually joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. Our identity as children of God gave us the impetus, the impetus to want to live out this Identity, when we interact with others, we strive, we strive to be blameless, we strive to be innocent, both in our speech and in our behavior as well. Because we testify for God, as the text says, as we shine the light of truth and righteous acts before the world. People recognize us as God's children when we stand out as positive models, not negative models. To be blameless, and the text is harmless or innocent, do not mean absolute sinless perfection. None of us has it on this side of eternity. But it does mean something. It means wholehearted, unmixed devotion to God, trusting and obeying God's leading instead of succumbing, succumbing to human thinking and decision. And the best witness to, to Christ the best witness to Christ is the visible effect, okay? not the invisible effect. The, the visible effect of Jesus' presence in the life of the church, you and I. Does your life shine for Jesus? Does your presence at home, at school, or at work shine brightly in exemplary conduct? 
as our obedience is empowered by God, in point number one, so is our conduct which is energized by the scripture, the word of life. To be able to shine like stars in the night, living out an ongoing continuous moral example as children of God, we grasp tightly. We grab hold of the word of God because only God's word give us direction as well as power to let God do his work in our lives and keep us pure. Psalm 119 verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word of God is a lamp to my feet and a light to the path that I'm walking. The word of God energizes you and spurs you to conduct your life based on your identity in Christ and your interaction with others. Keep the Bible near you, very near you, inside your heart. This is the image that Paul asked the Philippians to live up to the gospel. The gospel, the good news, Christ, not Caesar, forms their identity. In contrast to those whose lives are patterned in Rome, the Philippian Christians must be those who live out the teachings of the gospel of God's redeeming love. And so you and I, my friends, we, of all people, ought to radiate joy in the way we converse with fellow believers and non-believers and the way we relate with others. Several years ago, an auction was held to sell books written by the first Prime Minister of Singapore, Mr. Lee Kuan Yew. The books were auctioned with uh, Mr. Lee's uh, personal signature and every copy fetches $10,000. Although in, in themselves, the books were of little value in terms of production cost, but they were sold for the incredible amounts of 10000 merely because of who had owned them. Who was the owner of those books? As a believer, you and I may be ordinary persons, but we acquire, we acquire an immense new value, high value, because we belong to God. The Bible tells us that we are God's prized possession. Throughout history, God has claimed for himself his own people as his prized possession. You find it in Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 Peter chapter 2. Christians are a people of God. A very ordinary thing acquires a new value if it has been in the possession of some famous person. All the more, if we are in the possession of God, we are his treasured possession. Now therefore, what does God's treasured, treasured possession what does God's treasured possession, the people of God, do? You do all things without complaining or arguing. Complaining harms others as well as yourselves. Why are complaining and arguing so harmful? If all that people know about Grace Baptist Church, if the two men come to our church and then all they know is that members constantly argue, complain, gossip, they get a false impression of Christ and the gospel. Belief in Christ should unite those who trust and believe in Him. If the people in Grace Baptist Church are always complaining and arguing, the church lacks the unifying power of Jesus Christ. Do all things without arguing and complaining. Stop arguing with other Christians or complaining about people and conditions within the church. This is an imperfect church. It will continue to be because we are imperfect people. Our lives should be characterized by moral purity. 
moral purity, patience, and peacefulness so that we will shine brightly in a dark and perverse world, the text says. A transformed life is an effective witness to the power of God's word. A transformed life is more effective than a transformed speech. Are you shining brightly or are you clouded by complaints and arguing? Shine for God. The first characteristic of Christ-like living is obedience. And this obedience is not generated from you. It is actually empowered by God. Next, we talk about having a conduct as a second characteristic. Once again, this second characteristic, we are not left to our own device, but we are energized by the word of God, the gospel. Paul talks about a final characteristic about pursuing Christ-likeness as citizens of heaven, found in verses 17 and 18. Christ-like living brings joy. It produces joy. And this joy is experienced and encouraged in a community, in a community of faith. A believer's joy is more than a mindset. It is tangible at the same time. And it can be costly. It calls for sacrifice and service. Paul was facing a possible death while in prison. Yet he sets the example of a believer who does not let unfavorable and difficult circumstances rob his life of joy. If anyone has a right to complain, Paul certainly did. But he didn't. He viewed his circumstances and obviously his life as an act of worship, a sacrifice, a drink offering to God. Now, a liquid offering or drink offering would be poured over the main sacrifice on the altar. The main sacrifice is on the altar, the flame is on, and when you pour a liquid offering on the, on the sacrifice, steam starts to rust out of it. It is not the main sacrifice, it's just an offering of liquid over the sacrifice. What that means is that to Paul, the ministry of the Philippian church constituted the sacrifice. Can you imagine? Here is Paul who says that not his life, but he says his life is nothing compared to what the Philippian Christians have been going through. Paul sees his life and ministry merely supplemented and completed the life and ministry of the Philippian Christians. Paul did not think highly of himself, but how many of us can say the same? When we serve God, when we offer sacrifice and service, how many of us has the attitude of Paul who has the attitude of Christ. We serve God and we must make it our desire to make God's name great. We are not to make our name great. We are to make God's name great, not ours. The essence of a true follower of Jesus is service, not status. Service, not status. The joy that resides in believers Paul and the Philippian Christians. The joy is meant to be experienced in the community. It moves beyond the individual. Believers share in this joy. Paul encourages the Philippian believers to rejoice with him and he with them. It's mutual. Jesus was Paul's example. And because Paul was following after Christ, Paul can encourage the Philippian Christians. Paul's life was not perfect like Jesus. None of us has the perfect life but Christ. 
But Paul can encourage, he can encourage the Philippine Christians because he followed after Christ. His life is one of Christ-likeness. Paul strives to follow after Christ, empowered by God, energized by the gospel and encouraged within the community of faith. And so we too, my friends, we reflect Christ-like living and, can, and we can remain joyful under the most difficult circumstances if, if our primary purpose if our primary purpose is serving God, serving one another. God is pleased with a sacrificial attitude that puts everything we have at His disposal. Should all believers sell everything that they own? No. We are responsible to care for our own needs and the needs of our families so that we will not be a burden to others. But, my friends, we should, we should be willing to give up anything if God asks you to do so. This kind of attitude allows nothing to come between you and God and keep us from using our God-given wealth selfishly. If you are confronted by the fact that, God, that Christ did not tell all his followers to sell all their possessions, then you may become too attached to what you have. After all, the Bible didn't say sell everything. Ah, what a comfort for me. Be careful about that. An active pursuit of Christ-likeness is characterized by an obedience, empowered by God, having a conduct energized by the Word of God, and finally, a joy that's mutually encouraged within the community. This is how God wants us to live as people who has been radically transformed by the Gospel. Christ or Caesar. You can substitute something or someone else. Christ or this and that. Who or what are you looking for this morning? More importantly, who are you looking up to every morning, every day of your life? You look up to Jesus. You look up to Jesus, the supreme model. Jesus exemplifies joy in extreme humiliation and suffering. I have tried to help you understand this idea that firstly, Christ-like living calls for obedience. Thus, your attitude square with your action. My attitude is this, but my action is different. Secondly, Christ-like living will shape your conduct when you become aware of your identity as God's children and you reflect this identity when you interact with others. Thirdly, a Christ-like living is experienced within the community of believers, the community of faith, Grace Baptist Church. The church provides mutual encouragement. And so let's help one another, serve one another, enjoy. Not in obligation, not in sadness, not in unwillingness, but serve, help one another, enjoy. Learn the truth, live out the truth. Let us move from being contented to learning about God's word to being compelled to live out God's word. Determine in your heart to obey God. No conditions, no hesitation. God wants you. What does God want you to do with your life? Determine in your heart to obey God. Number two, make it your goal. Make it your goal 
to conduct your life in such a way that people who interact with you, people who interact with you, can say also in their hearts and minds that you truly represent Jesus Christ. I think that's the highest accolade a believer can have, that you represent Jesus Christ. Do all things without grumbling or arguing. Have a sweet spirit, or we call it a sweet disposition and demeanor in dealing with people and situations. Thirdly, sacrifice and serve. The sacrifice and service start with you and permeate the entire congregation in GBC. It is not to be confined within the four walls of the building, but moves up into your homes, your community, your schools, and the marketplace where you belong. I want to ask all of us, even as we let the words of God sink into our lives, I want to invite all of you to please rise with me as we commit ourselves to apply the truth we learned today, trusting in God's strength and not ours. Shall we all rise together and we go to God in the prayer of commitment? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross in exchange for our pardon. We are people most in need of a fresh injection of renewed vision of who you are. You are the God who has redeemed us with the precious blood of Christ. And we stand before you this morning justified, being sanctified daily and one day glorified in heaven. Help us as we embark on the important journey to become a disciple-making church that transforms lives with the gospel and with the love of Jesus Christ. We cannot do it on our own strength and resources. We ask, Father, for your strength. The Bible tells us that the joy of the Lord is our strength. We want to grow and be more and more Christ-like. And we know, Lord, that sometimes our lives are robbed of joy because we fail to love you in the first place with all our heart, soul, strength and mind. Or more often than not, our lives are robbed of the divine joy because we fail to love one another and have forgotten that we ought to partner one another in Grace Baptist Church to advance the gospel just as Paul did with the Philippian Christians. So Father, we want to pray this, our prayer of commitment in Jesus' name. Amen.